You're listening to episode 68 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and this was another week of headline-making news baseball-wide. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Tara and Alex with you again this week. And we are just over two weeks away from real baseball happening. And that is when Alex will decide to start paying attention to the St. Louis Cardinals for 2020. Alex, is that still the plan? Don't Still don't care about spring training really at all? That is still the plan. That's pretty much still the case. <laughs> Although it has come to my attention that Ponce de Leon apparently has been awesome this spring training. Yeah. So... Are we talking awesome in that he may work his way into the rotation or he's at least pitching for a spot in the rotation? Or I assume that's all to be determined at the moment. It's definitely to be determined, but he has made himself more valuable, I think, than he was before, just in the efficiency and the consistency that he's shown this spring, which is really all you hope for when you're coming into a spring training, I think, in a position like he was in, kind of trying to prove that he deserves a major league spot. The problem with the rotation is there's really only one spot available, and they went out and signed a guy basically to fill that spot. So I'm not entirely sure if he's pitching for a spot in the rotation at this point, but he's definitely opening some eyes to the fact that he's capable if that were to become necessary. There's still enough time left in the spring that anything can happen, but he's uh, he's making quite the impression to say the least. And I think maybe reminding people that he was actually a pretty good starter in the minor leagues, which, uh, you know, you kind of forget sometimes when a guy is relegated to a bullpen role at, at the big league level. Yeah. I wonder with Andrew Miller being injured and out for mm-hmm. who knows how long, if, That makes KK more important in a bullpen role, and then that could open a spot for Mm. someone like Ponce de Leon, I don't know, or or whoever else would win that competition. I mean, it's definitely a a line of thinking that I've seen more of this week, and the other thing is Austin Gomber. I totally stole that line of thinking. Of course. course. (laughs) That's what we all do. Passing it off as my own, all the best ideas are are generated from all the best and worst ideas are generated from Twitter. I <laughs> uh, don't want to give it too much credit, but no, the other thing is Austin Gomber has looked really good and he's sort of been slotted more as a starter. So the questions are still swirling about this pitching staff. I mean, there are at this point too many arms and not enough spots, which is as we always say, a good problem to have, but it, it gets a little complicated nonetheless when you get uh, more down to the wire. But We'll see how that all goes. The other standout as far as things people are saying because of spring training right now is, and I I feel obligated to talk about this, is the idea that Colton Wong should be the leadoff guy. And I'm curious your thoughts on that, not necessarily as it pertains to this spring training, but because even I have said I'm not entirely sure that's the best role for Colton Wong, not because his skill set doesn't translate there, but I think because... I enjoy so much watching Colton Wong be good and watching people acknowledge that he's good, that I hate the idea of him being in the leadoff spot and having a rough two weeks and all of a sudden everyone turning their back on Colton Wong again. But I think that's just the the trauma part of my brain kicking in and not wanting to go through all of that again and have to remind everyone how good Colton Wong is. But so maybe from your perspective that doesn't have that going on, Colton Wong is the leadoff guy. Do you like that idea or not? I think he is as good or a better candidate than any on this current roster. Last year was kind of the first time he's, he's, he's I guess, shown skills where he could like maybe fit in that role. Maybe 2017. You know, he had a pretty mm-hmm. good yeah. uh, offensive season in 2017 as well. I, I don't quite remember 2017 as well as I remember last year for obvious reasons, but I feel as though last season was the most consistent we've seen. At I don't remember any like prolonged slumps from Colton Wong last year. Yeah. Uh, do you? Because I totally could be forgetting about them. Uh, baseball seasons, they're so long and there's so many things to remember and forget that I'm sure it happened. But I, I could be very satisfied, I think, with him at the leadoff role. 
And I, I totally get what you're saying. And, but I guess that's going to happen with anyone we throw up there. <laughs> yeah, and <that's> uh, <laughs> if, uh, you know, Matt Carpenter, there's a whole other things going on there in terms of like, mm-hmm. you know, is he even still that great or whatever, but at least it would save us from another year of, you know, can Matt Carpenter only hit a delete off spot uh, stuff? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dexter Fowler, I don't, you know, he had that month and a half, two months last year where he was very much an ideal leadoff guy. I don't have the confidence in him, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right now to fill that role well over the course of a whole season. So, yeah, I, I think Colton Wong is as good a candidate as any. And the reality is, I agree. Because I think his skill set does translate there. It just worries me that the consistency we started to see last year, and to be fair, his first half had a few patches that were less than ideal, but his second half more than made up for it offensively until he got hurt. So I think that he started to figure out last year kind of who he is as an offensive player and a point that I've made a number of times, I feel like he finally had the confidence behind him as far as the supporting staff um, that allowed him to, to just be Colton and not try to be anything else. So I do think that he has a skill set. It'll be interesting to see if it shifts his mindset at all, because he does have a tendency to press a little when he's trying to prove a point. And um, I, I don't think that that is a good thing for him, but you know, maybe he's past that. Maybe he's maybe the confidence is permanent, and that is the best version of Colton Wong for us to see. Now, there was some additional news in the last week or so. We want to touch on that before we kind of move away from the on-field stuff of spring training. Not that either of these things were particularly on-field, but they relate to the team that's on the field. The first of them being Jack Flaherty, and of course, the renewal of his contract, which has stirred up a lot of opinions, a lot of commentary, a lot of thoughts about the system in place that allows a team to essentially dictate what a player is worth, even if they're one of the top six, seven, eight pitchers in baseball, however you determine that. And that seems to be the case with Jack Flaherty right now, but he's still under team control, not eligible for arbitration. He did the same thing last year. They offered him a a number. He told them he didn't want to take that number and then they renew the contract anyway. That's the the simple version of how it works. And to the limited credit of the Cardinals, that number went up this year based on their sort of formula for figuring out how to increase salary based on value and all those things. But there's also a, a penalty involved because he turned down their offer. It gets it gets really messy. Alex, I don't know that we can say a whole lot more than has already been said, but even if there's not really a right or wrong in this situation, and and maybe you think that there is, but it's a mess no matter how you look at it. Yeah. So obviously it's not Flaherty's fault. Um, Right. I I think only the most extreme of... uh, just shut up and play the game, people would would say, like, you know, (laughs) Flaherty's in the wrong here. Are the Cardinals wrong? Um, I'm not totally ready to go there as much as I'm just like, I hate this system. I Like, it's insane to me that a player, any player in major leagues, you know, has to be under control for six years before they're, you know, before free agency, three years before they're ARB eligible. Um, you know, at least a guy like Flaherty is young enough to where he's going to hit free agency um, at a decent age and he should still be able to make uh, like a lot of money. Of course, we all know how that can somehow sometimes work out with pitchers. The true villain here obviously is just the whole uh, system, uh, which of course, yeah. yes, this is what the players uh, union agreed to and all that, but that doesn't mean it's like that doesn't take all the blame off the other side either, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, it, it's it almost kind of feels like a cop out to me by the Cardinals to say like, look, we have this formula, we stick to it because look, if we give Jack Flaherty, I don't know, two point five million, then who's to say you know someone else doesn't come in with all these numbers, you know, the next year and say, well, I did this, I did that, so where's my two point five million? I, I feel like those sort of decisions are made all the time. You know, so I, I just yeah. feel like they're just making it easier on, not only easier on themselves because there's way less thinking involved saying, okay, this is exactly how much you're going to make. 
but also easier on themselves because it's a way to keep salaries down. <laughs> it's a way to uh, it's a way to say like yeah we don't really need to pay Jack Flaherty anymore and to kind of hide it behind a veil of we're just being consistent with the way we've always done things. Uh, I do you know I, I think there are reasonable arguments I guess on the Cardinal side of why it works this way um, and, and why there's a penalty attached if someone uh, is to turn down the offer, but the whole thing just stinks. It, it's just maddening sometimes thinking about baseball um, and and just. Just how bad it's set up for the players right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I always think about a guy yeah. like, I guess, just the guy I'm just thinking of off the top of my head. So it could be a bad example. I don't quite remember. But like, say like a guy like Stephen Piscotty, right? How old was Piscotty when he came up in 2015? I want to mm. think he was like 24 or 25. Yeah. Right? Be, am I, is that, does that sound close at least? I was thinking 24. Okay. So take a guy like Stephen Piscotty who wouldn't be a free agent until he's what, 30? or so, yeah. that is a horrible system for a player like him where he's a very good player, but he's not a good enough player to where he's just going to be totally, where he's absolutely going to be able to max out what he deserves at the age of 30, where we've reached a point where teams are going to be like, why would I pay a guy who's kind of a, a middle tier, a middle class player, you know, millions and millions of dollars when we have an abundance of talent um, who are still in their cost control to you. You know what I mean? It just... It mm-hmm. just seems really, yeah. unfa- you know, I, I always have confidence that, you know, the top tier guys are going to get their money. It just seems like it's a bad, really bad system for the middle class. Yeah. It, and that's, I think, the important piece of all of this, I think, is the fact that a guy like Jack Flaherty at this point in the sort of progress of baseball is willing to not just incur that penalty because I mean, it's, it's not the end of the world for him, but it also may be a situation where in the past guys have felt like, well, I don't want to, you know, make a bad impression or whatever hurt my chances down the road. But in this case, Jack Flaherty is kind of willing to take the hit to prove the point. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing so much more of that in baseball, as far as the players are concerned, leading up to the new CBA that boy, it's going to be, it's going to be tense for sure, because so many players are so much more aware of their value and the fact that they now have a voice to some degree in that system that maybe they didn't feel like they had before. So the whole process is really skewed, like you said. And I also understand the, the value of having some sort of formula. So it's not just like a player by player basis kind of decision, but Mm -hmm. if you're going to have a formula in place, maybe don't go from like (laughs) league minimum of 550,000 or whatever to 600,000. Like that's a, that's a good enough raise when you're talking in millions of dollars for other top tier players. Uh, maybe you adjust the formula a bit for someone who is as good as Jack Flaherty has been. Now, the flip side of that, a lot of people are saying just sign him to a long-term contract and there's plenty of conversation to be had there as well, but the reality is Jack Flaherty's had one really sensational season and an impressive rookie season, but maybe not one that you immediately turn around and sign to a long-term contract. So I understand the, the, the interest in letting things play out a little bit before you move into a longer term contract. But you know, if Flaherty backs this backs last year up with another year this year, like it or better than it, um, you know, the Cardinals may eventually price themselves out of that long-term contract. If Jack Flaherty is going to insist as he appears to, to get what he's worth. Correct. And I just remembered that my Stephen Piscotty example is probably a bad one because he signed that extension, right? Pretty early on with the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, and, and I believe he won't be a free agent now until like 2023. But it was still a, a team-friendly deal. And had he not signed that, he would not have been, if I recall, he would not have been a free agent until age 30 season. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just not great. I'm so done with uh, baseball uh, labor uh, wars, um, but they're so important <laughs> as well that it would be nice if somehow the next CBA is more player friendly. I think it's going to have to be if <laughs> if they're going to get uh, mm-hmm. the players to uh, to agree to anything there, because now they know the loopholes, right? They've mm-hmm. they've 
watched teams find all the loopholes in the current agreement. So that'll be interesting to watch. One thing we will not be watching this year in St. Louis is Jairo Munoz on the field for the St. Louis Cardinals. That was the other bit of news that came out this week. Again, a lot has been said about this, but it was so weird, Alex, that we can't not mention it. And first of all, since we don't know the details of this scenario, I would like to just start this by saying, I hope everything is good with Jairo Munoz, wherever he is, whatever he's planning to do next with his life and whatever led him to the decision that he made. But the decision that he made was to just bail. And (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how to, I, I still can't quite process how all of this happened. He got hurt. He didn't show up for the MRI. No one knew where he was. A week later, they released him. And then we start to find out all the details. I just, I, this is such a weird story. So I echo what you said in that I, I worry that maybe there's something more going on and that I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very hesitant to, to, to blame Munoz until I know exactly, exactly what's going on here. So with that said, in a way, it's kind of awesome on his part only. And I'll say, and this is why. Have you ever been at work, and I'm sure plenty of people can relate to this, where you just had a day where you're like, you know what, I want to just walk out of here right now. I I want (laughs) to like walk into my boss's office and say like, you know what, I've had it, I'm out of here, blah, blah, blah. Um, You'll never see me again. Like everyone has had that fantasy, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone at some point has wanted to do that. Well, he actually did it. So like... Good for him in some respects. Like, it's kind of awesome. Now, the thing with the decision like that is it only feels awesome probably in that moment and, uh, you know, as as long as that pride can carry that adrenaline with you until you realize, oh, I may have just lost a lot of money and opportunities, which could certainly be the case here. Hopefully, now that he's been... uh, because he cleared, right? And he's he's, yeah. he's yep. a free agent. I, hopefully someone picks him up and he gets another opportunity. So I, I, I like him. Uh, I, I know some of his other, I guess, former minor league teammates or at least one of them in Oakland said something kind of, uh, said something that I think could be interpreted as being disparaging toward him. But I always liked him. It's just such a weird situation because there was nothing yeah. about his play even in 2018 where he was a pretty solid hitter where you felt like, God, he's got to be on the field more, you know, in, in last mm-hmm. in 2018 yep. was his good season. So <laughs> good for him for believing in himself and good for him for doing uh, what we've all fantasized about doing at, uh, <laughs> at some point. <laughs> and uh, I hope it works out well for him. That's my take. Definitely a strange situation. And uh, while from the perspective of someone who's wished they could walk off a job more than once in my life, I can applaud that. I don't think it's probably going to do him any favors in looking for a new job. Although, you know, if you're just going to be a, not just bench players are very important. That is a conversation this team's going to have to have. Uh, But if you, if that's sort of your, your high point, I don't, I can't imagine him being an everyday starter, for most anyone else at this point. So that's sort of what his role is going to be anywhere. And, um, you know, it, it probably doesn't help if the at least the, the running narrative is that you <laughs> literally left the country because you were upset about playing time. That's not going to do any you, you, do you any favors. Part, part of what makes it tough on his end is the fantasy that I, I spoke of that includes your your screwing over your you you are right. you're leaving and they're and they're left yeah yeah going oh my god what do we yeah. do now we've we've really done it this time you Obviously, can say their loss yes and yes, walk away exactly <laughs> and, but that I mean, I don't believe that Not to be the situation so here I don't think. I don't think anyone in the Carl's brass was like, oh my gosh, like what have we done? You know, we, we are now in a very tough spot and I don't know how we'll get out of this. What can we do? You know, we should have, you know, appreciated it more, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so 
I don't quite think he had the leverage that maybe mm, yeah. uh, to totally pull off the uh, the walk out of your job fantasy that you need to have. But good for him for thinking he has it. <laughs> he uh, he's not short on confidence. We'll say that. Uh, it does open up that conversation about the 26th man and who that's going to be. There are definitely some intriguing possibilities. It, it leads to a conversation about who your backup infielders will be. I think the presence of Tommy Edmond kind of limits that conversation because he can back up anybody and he's going to be a regular in some regard. But nonetheless, you've got guys like Ron Hill Ravello and Edmundo Sosa. And now there's a free spot on the 40 man, which a lot of people are tying to Dylan Carlson. But there are a lot of ways that the Cardinals can go with that extra roster spot this year that it seems like Munoz was definitely in the mix for. But it might make this conversation in a week from now uh, even a little more interesting as far as how that bench gets made up of guys that are still in the mix <laughs> that, oh, well, that well, didn't leave the country. <laughs> well, here's a, here's a question. Do you think what annoyed them the most is now they, you could interpret it as saying they have more pressure or I guess fewer excuses to not have Carlson on the roster. Um, that, now that there is an extra spot that's open, uh, yeah. You know, it might take away one of their uh, automatic reasons, right. one of their their complications. Because but I, they said, I, didn't Chilt say like he was he was on his way to making the the 26 man. Yeah. Gosh, mm-hmm. that's going to be hard. He had an inside track or something. Yeah. Saying 26 man. Yeah, I know. Uh, We're going to yeah, I yeah. almost That's right, inside I almost track, suggested right? like uh let's let's run down who is for sure on this roster. And then I was like, wait a second, I have to totally recalibrate <laughs> who goes where because <laughs> yeah. that extra guy, we'll do, maybe do, we'll do that next week. But the the point is, uh, yeah, Mike Schilt basically said, you know, he, he was written in pencil, perhaps we shall say in that 26 spot. Although I do think that that could also be taken. If I'm Jairo Munoz, that could also be taken as a very backhanded compliment because <laughs> You're essentially saying if it was still 25, he wouldn't have been making the team. But since there's an extra spot, he was probably going to be there. And that can't feel great either if you're already a little perturbed about your role and the appreciation of your skill set, to say the least. I think I was also shocked. And again, I uh, I, I hesitate to say um, I, I'm not blaming him for anything and I'm not saying he did anything wrong uh, until I know. sure exactly what's going on here. But I was also a little bit shocked just because he doesn't, he he just has the general appearance of someone who is not disgruntled. He just looks like a jolly (laughs) guy. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I I was never under the impression that this guy was a problem or that this guy is ever angry or uh, I can sort of remember like the only time i remember a dust up with him was like did he slide hard into a base or was he covering a base and someone slid hard yeah, and he got into like it that, with, yeah. with another player or something but that's so incredibly normal in the world of baseball he just you know look looks can be deceiving he just struck me as a very i'm happy to be here guy and there's a very good chance that's not the case yeah turns out maybe not and that that <laughs> inability to deal with the kind of competition that the Cardinals always talk about wanting to create within their own ranks, uh, that that probably wasn't going to bode well. Although I would argue that's not going to bode well anywhere in baseball as it's a perpetual competition for playing time. But nonetheless, no more Jairo Munoz. Hope all is well with him. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the remaining bench spots as well as that 40 man spot it could be dylan carlson who knows what else could happen you mentioned earlier andrew miller maybe off the table for a while likely to miss opening day that makes things interesting in the bullpen still a lot to be determined this spring which i I think even if you're not watching all the games even if you don't think it's real baseball which it really isn't it's an interesting spring in that regard because there are still so many unanswered questions one of those questions doesn't have anything to do with spring training Alex, this week has been dominated in the news cycle in just about every possible avenue, whether it's politics or community news or sports or entertainment or otherwise, by the 
cancellation of events or the altering of policies because of the continuing spread of the coronavirus. And I bring that up because it's now become a very real conversation in the world of baseball, whether it's Major League Baseball closing their clubhouses to the media, which became a huge talking point on uh, Monday and Tuesday of this week. And now all of a sudden, there's sort of this underlying concern about what happens two weeks from now on opening day. And is there a way to be prepared logistically for whether or not fans can attend games or if they're going to try to limit the number of human beings in one place at any given time? Or will they play at alternate sites if there are certain areas that are more affected than others? Or will they play at all? Will they postpone games? Will they? It's been wild trying to keep track of this. And again, I want to preface this by saying, and I think Alex would agree with me, neither of us are medical experts. We're not particularly interested in the deeply political sides of this conversation. But Look, as a baseball fan and as someone who has covered baseball and continues to do so on a professional level, this is a very real conversation that people are having because baseball is just this normal thing that we expect to happen. And all of a sudden, it might not happen like normal. And people are trying to figure out how to process that. Alex, I don't know what your take is on the this idea of playing without fans if if that is something that would you know be an ongoing scenario i don't know it's just it's a lot to try to figure out at this point where we're two weeks from real baseball yeah my first i guess take is that i thus far do not have the coronavirus which is a good, good thing good. and i hope, uh, hope to s- stay on that that track, uh, I guess. Uh, so I was actually going to mention last week when you asked me if I was watching spring training, um, that not only am I not watching spring training, but I'm going to miss opening day. Cause I'm going to be in Pittsburgh for work. Uh, well <laughs> now I am going to be able to watch opening day because that trip got canceled, uh, beca- because of this. So yeah, it is a very real thing. I think I first realized like, Oh my gosh, like, this really could, uh, we really could be looking at cancellations or games being played in empty stadiums when when they canceled the Indian Wells tennis tournament, which might not seem mm-hmm. like yeah. a, a huge thing. But if you're a tennis fan, you know how huge of a tournament that is. It's, uh, it's after the four Grand Slams, it's probably the biggest tournament. And it's almost like its own thing. In, in a way, it's, it's almost on like a weird different level almost as big as those uh just because of when it is and how big of an event that's turned out to be and the players that 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 show up for it and to cancel that that's when i was like oh my gosh like again like you said i have no idea if we should be freaking out if we should not be freaking out obviously it, it stands within reason that you should always, you know, not panic and, but you should also be informed. Um, I'm trying to do the best I can just like everyone else is just trying to figure out like, you know, how big a deal is this? Um, but it's obviously a big enough deal to where this is 100% on the table, which is that a game, either games being axed or games being played with no fans. And, you know, the, that game that I was playing in Baltimore in 2015 in the aftermath of the Freddie Gray riots in Baltimore, that was just a one, you know, that was just one game. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't recall there ever being a chance of it being more than one game, although maybe, but it was just one game. It was not a whole schedule of games being played without fans. And, you know, I think I, I didn't watch that game. I remember watching the highlights on quick pitch the next morning just to see, you know, what that even looked like. And it was hard to tell just from the highlights, but I think it would be very odd to watch an entire baseball game without a crowd there. I I think we would just be reminded of how many sights and sounds that we don't even notice are are occurring because of the crowd. Uh, Even when there's not a crowd, when there's a tiny crowd, whether it's like one of those games in Pittsburgh uh, or Miami, 
you can hear the fans. In fact, even mm-hmm. in, in those games, even more so because there's so few of them that, you know, if, <laughs> yeah. if you want to yell something, you might be heard because there's not going to be just deafening crowd noise to drown you out. So, yeah, I, I don't even, it would almost feel like fake. Like, they're like yeah. not a real game. If, yeah. You know, they're hitting foul balls into the stands and there's no one there to, you know, chase after them. I, I, I don't know what to think, to be honest. And most of that is because, like you said, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not an expert in this field. And I'm just trying to do uh, um, as well as everyone else is and just try and stay informed and, and do, what, do what I need to do. So I, I'm very curious to see what happens because it doesn't, it doesn't seem like we've reached a point where people are saying like, okay, you know, we're starting to, we're starting to get a grasp on this and, you know, the worst is behind us. If anything, like we're still at this level of total uncertainty and we could find out a week from now that, you know, either the first weeks of games are being canceled or the first weeks of games are, you know, going to play, being played with no crowd or in places where, you know, they haven't had an outbreak. It's just weird. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's crazy. And I actually have a friend in the broadcast business who was at Indian Wells ready to cover that event. And uh, now there's no event. And I also have friends who are headed to Montreal in about two weeks to cover the World Figure Skating Championships. And that event might not happen. And, you know, it's it's just a, it makes it very real when all of a sudden you're starting to the Ivy League conference tournament isn't happening now and and all of a sudden these things that we just assume are going to happen all the time you start to mm-hmm. realize what what becomes critically important and what can be done away with and the reality is a lot of times sports are that thing not because they're insignificant to the people who have chosen them as a, a profession or even to the fans who pay good money to be there but because there are precautions that can be taken. So it's just, it's weird trying to figure out how to respond to something like that even, right? Because you want to be cautious and you want to be prepared and you want to be aware of the potential threats to something. But, you know, then you see the the drama of changes like this and wonder how much of it is really going to make much of a difference. And yeah, it would be super strange, especially if we're talking about opening week because everyone has such massive plans for opening week, uh, opening day. And then, you know, if you open on the road a week later, opening day at home, and you certainly wouldn't be doing all of that without fans. So it changes the entire dynamic of the beginning of a baseball season, which is insignificant in the grander scheme, but not totally unimportant to all the people involved in it. Oh, I, I don't think it's insignificant at all. In fact, if anything, it's sh- it's showing how crazy we are about sports. Like, yeah, because the idea yeah. of like, whoa, canceling professional sporting events seems like you would only do that if you had no other option. You, you, mm-hmm. you know, the only other time I can remember that happening is is really like nine eleven. You know, where yeah. they, I mean, mm-hmm. in, even there, they didn't cancel, you know, they just had to reschedule, uh, I, I, in most cases, if I recall. Right. Um, so, yeah, like, we take our sports very, very seriously. So, you know, if we're just, uh, if they're going to start, you know, dropping, you know, games and stuff like that, we know, obviously, that something, you know, this is unlike something we have not seen. It's weird. And I, think, I don't know. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And I think it's also important to realize that man first of all i would not want to be the one making these decisions because every 10 minutes you get a different piece of information just from what we see on twitter so trying to verify information and make sure that you're reacting appropriately and not stoking panic when there doesn't need to be panic and all of those things involved i would not want to be the one responsible for making that call but you know it's it's for the safety of the players of the employees of the fans of the people (laughs) in and around the stadiums in every capacity and that's what gets so complicated because there are so many pieces of this puzzle involved and you know you have to sort of play it safe i think if you aren't certain that there's a better option but you know that presents a whole bunch of other different complicated 
issues as you try to navigate what to do after the fact. And so we're certainly not in a position to, you know, try to make that decision for Major League Baseball or for any individual team or for any other event for that matter. And, you know, everyone has to be aware on their own, but it does create this really strange cloud over a lot of things, baseball being one of them. And, you know, it also, to sort of lighten the moment, it also sort of gives Major League Baseball a good reason to avoid talking about the Red Sox scandal that we're apparently never going to hear about. I I guess also teams can, uh, you know, not worry about the extra netting if uh, there's yeah. no, no fans, um, you know, although can't, ha- can't hit a kid with a foul ball if there are no kids. Has every team put those up? I guess I don't even know. You know what? I'm not what's, sure. What's I going on there? know yeah. that conversation has been going on the last few years. New teams put it up every year, and more angry baseball fans complain about it every year. But I don't know that it's everywhere yet. Um, it should be though. That's that's my hot take. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we're done with coronavirus talk, we're very um, much done with coronavirus. <laughs> okay. Um, I I do have two sort of spring training related questions I want okay. to ask. The first, I guess, is not really spring training related, other than it happened during spring training. Uh, you you are, I assume, aware that Mike Schilt was recently married. I am. Yes. Let me ask you this let's say the cardinals go two and eight in like the first 10 games and uh, or something like that and uh, over the course of those 10 games like schilt is calling for a lot of bunts um he's leaving starting pitchers in too long just like your run-of-the-mill bad managerial decisions how long does it take the, the best of our fans to start giving uh, Mrs. Uh, Mike Schill. I, I don't, I feel bad. I don't know her name. How long till they start giving I believe it's her- Michelle. Michelle. Okay. How long till they start giving Michelle the Yoko Ono treatment? <laughs> or, or like Kim Basinger from The Natural. Uh, have you seen The yeah. Natural? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Like, like mm. uh, okay. I feel like it wouldn't take long. I yeah. guess he is just a manager. So maybe people wouldn't, you know, we're going to be complaining about him regardless. Uh, not because he's a bad manager, but just like that's mm-hmm. what you do when you have a manager. You complain about them. Uh, Here's but, uh, I th- I think it will happen if the local media, including the television broadcasts, continue to remind everyone that he just got married, because then it's going to be front of mind, and those fans of that mind will. <laughs> quickly turn what they hear into well that's the difference compared to last season and then we might see some of that i would like to believe that that won't happen but you know it's going to be a running story at least for a a part of the first month or so of the season so for his sake for her sake i I hope they play well whether they're playing in front of fans or not (laughs) yeah i i doubt it'll happen i i I, you really have to have like uh, be on a certain pedestal. Like I, I don't know if Mike Schill has quite reached like John Lennon. Uh, mm, yeah, uh, like like where people <laughs> like where people would be blaming. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and most importantly, I think to insulate her from any sort of blame, like we would be yelling about him anyway. Like I said, uh, of course, because that's yeah. what people do when it comes <laughs> to managers. But th- for some reason, that was the first thing I thought of when I when I heard that news is <laughs> that, that I, I don't know. Cause I, you I know, hope, baseball fans yeah. are crazy. Yeah. And I know our <laughs> fans are, are crazy. So yeah, hopefully that does happen. But my more uh, other question and a more baseball related question is how often, if you know, do pitchers bat during spring training? That is a very good question to which I I'm not sure of the answer. I feel like I should be, but I also haven't watched that many games this spring and I don't remember thinking about it before. <laughs> so they, I'm not they, really sure. They certainly do it, at least in the national. Yeah. At least if, if you're playing in like a National League right. ballpark or something like that. Okay. Uh-huh. So, but it seems like they probably do it uh, 
you know, I, I researching this earlier, apparently the national league team or the, the whoever's hosting has the option of having a DH. Um, okay. And sometimes they take <laughs> sounds advantage like of a that. weird spring yeah, training yeah, sometimes, thing. Sometimes, sometimes they take advantage <laughs> of that option. The reason why I bring this up is this: I am an anti DH person, uh, and you can, you know, if you want to, if anyone wants to make any sort of assumptions about whatever, you know, my personality because of that, go ahead. I don't care. You know, if you want to say like that makes me some old man or boomer. Uh, I'm, I think we've I'm, already I'm established that you're a grumpy old man. I'm definitely not a boomer. I don't know what, what class okay. is old, but I'm not, I'm not a boomer. Well, whatever. I don't care. Uh, I, I believe that pitchers hitting is the superior way that baseball should be played. I think it's a better brand of baseball. I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world, meaning when the National League adopts the DH and it seems more like when versus if now, I don't think, you know, I'm not going to stop watching baseball. I will still enjoy it. But I do believe uh, no DH is the better way to play. That said, the only thing that has ever shaken me on this is something that Kyle Reese told me one time. And I felt really silly for having not known this before. And that's that pitchers in the National League, even for National League affiliates, do not bat in the minors. In the minors. Yeah. And to me, that's a problem. Because then it makes me feel like, all right, if they're not even batting in the minors, like if a guy's going to be in the minors for like two or three years and he's going to only work on his pitching and he's not going to worry about hitting, then for him to bat when he immediately gets up to the parent club, then that's just a charade for people like me who want to see the pitcher batting. (laughs) Yeah. Right? I mean, like Mm -hmm. – there's no other thing in the uh, DH argument that sways me more than that or at all, but, but for that. And so I was curious if, if they're not batting in spring training either, or at least not batting as often as they would during, you know, the regular season, it's like, what are we even doing here? I mean, I know that they are regularly taking BP because I've seen video of all of that on Twitter, because that's the only thing that was happening for weeks. So they're at least practicing whether they're actually hitting in games or not. And to be fair, a lot of those pitchers don't stay in a whole lot of innings consecutively. So they may not come up in the, in the batting order as regularly as they would in um, a normal game in the regular season. But I, I think it's a fair point. And the minor league one is something that I've always wondered about working in minor league baseball that it just doesn't seem to be particularly proactive in um, creating the the sort of simulation of Major League Baseball if you're a, a National League team to have pitchers who never, ever hit. But, you know, every once in a while, um, somebody will pinch hit because they're out of players or something like that, and it looks really awkward, and <laughs> you realize why they don't ever hit. And maybe that's... Like you said, a, a good, if there is a good argument for the DH in the National League, the fact that they don't practice it in part of their development is probably a good argument. Yeah, it just makes it really hard to defend. You know, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I'd like no, no DH, but I would also like to be able to defend it in good faith. And it, and it makes it just a little bit harder to defend it in good faith. Um, Mm-hmm. knowing that's the case uh i i believe ben godard's actually is also a big uh you know anti-dh guy I, sh- I should see if he can um give me a good uh argument as to why it doesn't matter if they don't bat in the minors there's still no no need for a dh in in national league baseball i, I will i might reach out to him and if uh and report back next week if if he's has a good answer and if he's able to sway me, um, you know, or at least able to convince me not to worry about this, that I can stand firm in my no DH stance and not feel, not feel a little, uh, bad about it. I like it. Report back and let us know. Um, Alex, that's all I have as far as spring training and headline news this week. So if you have nothing else, let's move on to the trip of the week. Okay. Uh, Terry, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about hard-hitting Mark Witten when he hit four home runs in one game, and then I looked up, uh, you know, <laughs> Cardinals who guys who had the 
had a career with the Cardinals and never, you know, hit that many. I do. <laughs> you, yes. you remember that, right? <laughs> yeah. In their whole career. All right. So I, I thought I would uh, expand it a little bit and uh, look at home runs, RBIs, and uh, and total hits uh, on a season for Cardinals. Um, meaning, uh, starting with home runs, as we all know, Mark McGuire hit once hit seventy home runs in a season for the Cardinals, which is by which is uh, the most by any Cardinal ever in a single season. So I wanted to look at how many Cardinals. Which Cardinal has had the most plate appearances um, as a Cardinal, obviously, and not been able to eclipse uh, 70 home runs for their career? Uh, as usual, okay. I started with, uh, I, I used the Baseball References Play Index, and I started with the year 1947 because that's when uh, the league first made an attempt to integrate. Um, and so that's where I like to start. And uh, so, yeah, th- that's how I uh, did the search. I looked at anyone with 70 home runs or fewer and then just uh, s- sorted by plate appearances. Can you guess who number one is? I'll tell you how many plate appearances there are. 8,242. And, and, they, and f- for their career with the Cardinals, only hit 27 home runs. Go ahead and I, tell me. I don't want to bring on. Yeah, Ozzie Smith. Okay. Ozzie Smith um, leads the pack here. Second place is Red. Uh, 6,200 mm-hmm. plate appearances, only 64 home runs. Third place, Willie McGee, 6,100 plate appearances with the organization, only 63 home runs. Fourth place is Tom Herr, 4,272 plate appearances with the Cardinals, only 19 home runs. That actually surprises me. <laughs> um, wow. Fifth place, Tim McCarver, 4,193 plate appearances with the Cardinals and only 66 home runs. Uh, and uh, sixth place, just because uh, I'm mostly only going to do the top five, but sixth place is kind of a fun answer. Uh, with 4,192 plate appearances, Eno Slaughter, only 65 home runs. Huh. Uh, yeah, so now moving on to RBIs. And okay. I did not know who the career RBI leader for Cardinals was, um, but it's actually uh, Joe Ducky, not career RBI leaders, I'm sorry, but. RBI leader for a single season for the Cardinals. Sure. I had no idea yeah. who it was, and it's actually Joe Ducky Medwick, who had 154 <laughs> RBIs, yeah, in 1937. But since I'm starting with 1947 with my search, I thought I should do the same when finding the uh, top answer. And since 1947, the most RBIs in a season by a Cardinal is Mark McGuire with 147, and he had that in both 1998 and 1999. And so here are the Cardinals with the most plate appearances, but who were unable to eclipse 147 RBIs uh, for their career. There's first is Don Blassingame. Uh, he played with the Cardinals from 55 to 59, and he had 2,715 plate appearances and only 145 RBIs. Second is <laughs> David Eckstein, uh, 1,749 plate appearances, only 115 RBIs. Third is Jerry Mumphrey, 1,739 plate appearances for the Cardinals from 74 to 79 and only 134 RBIs. Fourth is Alex Gramas. Gramas? Gramas? I should probably know how to say that, uh, but I don't. Uh, 1,722 plate appearances from 54 to 62 and only 124 RBIs. Fifth, Placido Polanco, uh, 1,689 plate appearances for the Cardinals and only 134 RBIs. Last one I looked at was hits. Uh, the most hits by a Cardinal in a single season is by Rogers Hornsby, who had 250 in 1922. Um, but again, using the uh, same parameters as before, I'm going to start with 1947. And believe it or not, the most hits by a Cardinal in a single season since 1947, there's a tie. Stan Musial, which makes a lot of sense, uh, with mm-hmm. 230 hits in 1948. Also with 230 hits in a single season, Joe Torrey in 1971. Uh, I did not know that. And that's the most by a Cardinal since uh, 47. That's also the year Torrey uh, won MVP. Um, But here are the Cardinals uh, with the most played appearances, but who did not reach at least 230 hits. Uh, First is uh, Hector Cruz uh, with... Uh, 1,032 play appearances, and he had 207 hits. Second was actually Bob Forrest, but I'm removing pitchers from this equation because, you know, as uh, even though I am uh, 
firm in my anti-DH stance. We all know they <laughs> are not good hitters. So uh, so we're skipping Bob Forrest, and we're going to go second, Tito Landrum, who had 963 plate appearances for the Cardinals from 1980 to 87 with only 216 hits. Uh, third, Harrison Bader, 925 <laughs> plate appearances for the Cardinals, only 191 hits. Uh, fifth, Whitey Kuroski. I'm not familiar with Whitey Kuroski, uh, but and this could be off uh, because it starts in 1947, so he could have had some years with the Cardinals before then. Um, but from 1947 to 49, he only had 208 hits and 900 plate appearances. And fifth, Del Ennis with 226 hits for the Cardinals and 890 plate appearances from 1957 to 1958. So there you go. I, I think the one that shocks me the most is I was surprised that neither Red nor Willie McGee uh, or, or Tim McCarver, for that matter, or, or Eno Slaughter had at least 70 home runs in their career with the Cardinals. Ozzy Smith obviously didn't surprise me. Um, and it also kind of, uh, yeah. yeah, that didn't surprise me at all, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of surprised me that Tommy Hur only hit 19 home runs. Uh, I, I'm proud to say I was at one of those. That was his walk-off grand slam against the Mets on nice. the night. So my first baseball game ever. So, uh, you know, that was more of a big deal Ooh, than I a, thought. That he, sets yeah. the bar pretty high. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of why I'm a huge fan, I think. Um, but there you go. That's your Chirp of the Week. Nice. People who um, unable to uh, reach certain heights for their career that, you know, giants like Mark McGuire were able to do in a single season. Makes it all that, mo- that much more impressive when you see those numbers, when you realize what other great players couldn't, uh, couldn't eclipse that mark. So that will do it for us this week. If you have anything to add to any of those conversations, if you have thoughts on the Jack Flaherty renewal or the Jairo Munoz <laughs> disappearing act or what baseball would be like with no fans or on the chirp of the week, please feel free to share it with us. Make sure you check out all the other podcasts hosted by Birds on the Black. We know there's Kyle Reese with the Dirty 35 podcast. Uh, Zach Gifford just on Tuesday evening started his new Periscope live stream to be podcast uh, called nerds on the black, which is going to be awesome. We had to kind of cut our viewing of it short to record this show, but you should check out both of them on Wednesday. Yeah. We're going to make him change his time. We're going to make him change the time because we want to watch too. So Zach, you have to, we, we were here first. We're not changing. (laughs) You are. There you go. We'll have to arrange that so that we can be in the audience for the live version of Nerds on the Black because we're all so excited to see what's happening. We don't want to miss it to uh, to record this show. So make sure you check out all of those podcasts. Subscribe to the Birds on the Black podcast on whatever podcast service you like the best. You can follow us on Twitter. You know the drill by now. I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. Baseball is just about two weeks away. We'll be back with you next week to talk more about it. So he's Alex. I'm Tara. Thanks for listening.